Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Today, we've got an opportunity for the most amazing guest we've ever had, and it's you, another edition of Ask the Guys. Today, your questions are answers on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Are you looking to create sustainable wealth through agricultural real estate? Then look no further than Agro Nosotros. They're a sustainable specialty agriculture company with specialty coffee farming operations in Panama and fine flavor organic chocolate operations in Belize. Over the last four years, they've helped ordinary people to diversify outside of traditional real estate and into offshore agricultural real estate. They don't have your typical tenants, termites, and troubles. Their tenants are trees, and they grow and produce two hugely popular and proven products, coffee and chocolate. Through Agro Nosotros, you can own half-acre parcels in your very own specialty coffee or organic cacao farm turnkey managed on your behalf that produce passive cash flow for you and your heirs. And you can feel good about where you put your money to work. Agro Nosotros has socially sustainable programs that provide living wages, improved accommodations, and a steady channel to market to literally hundreds of farmers. And so far, they place 61 kids in school. To find out more and see how you can get involved, email agro at realestateguysradio.com. That's agro, A-G-R-O, at realestateguysradio.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio show. I'm your host, Robert Helms. With me as usual is co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, we get so many great questions from our listeners. I can remember back in the day when we started more than 20 years ago, we would get one question a month if we were lucky. Uh, today, we get questions every day, and it's awesome. And we can't answer them all via email. And in fact, we can't answer very many at all. But what we love to do is a show like we're doing today, which is Ask the Guys. We go through our incredible mailbag from our great listeners and try to pick out questions that we think are relatable to lots of people. And we're going to answer some of those questions today uh, with a couple of uh, caveats. The first is that we are not attorneys or accountants. We do not give advice. What we give is ideas and information. Now, it's amazing. I, I know, Russ, you look through these questions sometimes, and it's crazy the specificity that people come up with for some of these questions. Well, I love it when they pivot off of maybe a podcast or a newsletter or a speaking appearance we've done, and they want to go deeper. You know, we just a month ago, we were on the summit at sea, and that's really what we were doing there is people would hear a presentation, they'd get an idea, and then they could immediately follow up and and make it personal, or they could get clarifying things answered. You know, we can't do that all the time. And course on the radio it's not interactive but ask the guys is as close as we can get and yeah the questions are great especially when people are pivoting off of things that they've they've heard and they're processing the information you know speaking of the investor summit our first question here actually kind of plays on that this comes from sean in durango colorado he says despite the fact that i'm quite appreciative of you guys there are two things that frustrate me first what are the ins and outs of infinite return? <laughs> also, what are the details of your portfolio? Thanks for the education. All right, Sean. Well, those are two interesting questions. We spent a lot of time talking about infinite return as we led up to the summit because that was kind of the theme of the Investors Summit at Sea this year. And Robert Kiyosaki had it on his heart to teach infinite return. And the premise is quite simple. We can cover that today. Now, I'll tell you, on the summit, we spent hours and hours and hours going through examples of it and getting the mindset to approach it. And that's really where the gold is. But the idea of an infinite return is pretty simple. It means that you're investing on the house's money. In other words, you put up some money for a deal, whether it's to buy a property or to be in a syndication or to grow crops somewhere. You put up a hundred grand. At some point, the deal has paid you back a hundred grand and you're still in the deal. 
Maybe that takes a year, maybe it's five years. But if that happens, if you get all of your initial capital off the table, then everything else that comes in is technically an infinite return. In other words, if we divide the return amount, whatever that is, by zero, which is what we now have in, the answer is infinite. So it's easy to do that in real estate. It takes time to do that, but to really understand it takes a lot of processing. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's there's many, many different ways to do it. You can do it without ever putting any of your own money in the deal. You can use legal means and negotiation tactics to control a property and be able to make a profit off it without ever having put any of your own money in. You can use financing creatively to make that happen. You can use syndication, other people's money to make it happen. But the core issue or the core concept of infinite returns, as you stated, Robert, is just simply that you're earning a return on no money at risk. You're, you're, you've gotten all your money out. Whatever money is in the deal is money the deal provided itself, and it isn't any money that you had to put into the deal, or maybe the money came from someone else. You know, we've done this a bunch of times. We've gone in and we bought a property that needed some work. So it took cash. It took capital up front and typically a loan. You do the work. You increase the value of it, and then you refinance it out. That's one way to get at the equity. When you refinance it out at such a value that you've gotten all your money back out, sometimes a little more besides, and check with your tax professional, but when you borrow money out of a property that's not taxable, so now you've gotten your money back, you've made a tax-free return, and going forward, you continue to receive income from the property. So it's a great concept. We spent a lot of time on the summit delving into it in all kinds of asset classes and a lot of throwback to you know the mindset behind it. But it's really, how do you approach real estate? If you think it's a cost, that's different than if you think it's an investment. Now, the other part of your question, what are the details of your portfolio? Since we can't ask you what you mean by that, we're going to assume you mean what do we personally own in real estate and frankly, Sean, that's just not a question we answer anymore. We did for a long time. I remember our first field trips. We went into Las Vegas and Phoenix, and most of the market field trips, we would spend the time going around our properties, interviewing our managers, walking through units, and a funny thing happened. People started to invest in a market or sometimes in a specific project because Robert and Russ invested there which is a terrible reason to invest there, by the way. We probably don't have the same personal investment philosophy. We probably don't have the same risk tolerance, and I'm sure we don't have the same resources. So because of that, we have changed our tune completely. And today, when you go on a field trip with us, we might go to one of our properties and never say a word about it being our property. It's still a great story. We still might meet the manager. But the point is, it doesn't really matter what we're doing in real estate. What matters is what you're doing. People do find out when they spend time with us. If you come to our events, you'll start to get a little insight into what we actually do in our real estate lives. On one of our field trips in particular, we actually do show you properties we're involved with because we kind of have to because of the nature of the market. So over time, people get to know us and it's not like we're being secretive, but the radio audience is immense. We're now in over 190 countries and we just don't want people to say, well, I guess if, if these guys are investing in it, I should invest in it. Well, I mean, I have some thoughts on that too that I think are really important. Important. Two things. One is, and this is not disparaging at all to the person asking the question, but it's a reflection of a mindset. 
And it's a mindset that says, I don't want to do the thinking about my own personal investment philosophy. I don't want to think about the suitability of a particular investment uh, for my particular situation. I don't want to spend time or money with my advisors vetting a deal. I just want to play copycat. I just want to find what somebody else is doing and do that too. Now, I'm not saying that this particular listener is saying that, but my experience in having a lot of private conversations with people that ask those types of questions, that tends to be where they're coming from. So be very, very careful about that. The second thing is, and we talk about personal investment philosophy all the time, you know, if, if you're talking to somebody who has a really strong balance sheet, highly liquid, uh, they're pretty far seasoned in life. They've got a lot of assets that are cash flowing. They may be pretty far out on the risk spectrum because they're playing with the speculation part of their portfolio. You may be in a completely different place where you're, you really can't afford a misstep where you lose 100% of your working capital and you're back down to ground zero. So it goes back to that notion of suitability and just making sure that when you're looking at something, you're looking at it in terms of what the deal is and what the needs and the position in your portfolio are and making sure that's a match. If it's just a question, hey, does this person who's talking about this really eat their own cooking, if you will, uh, that's a good question to ask. And you should be talking to the, the people who are actually out there uh, providing the properties or doing that. Robert and I don't sell real estate, so it, we, don't, we don't have anything to sell. We're just pointing to you to people. Uh, we support our sponsors in the provider network. We try to introduce people to a lot of different things, many of which we're interested in. It's one way for us to leverage our time is to go out and find great people and great opportunities and learn about them and then share those with people. We don't do everything that we advertise. We can't. I mean, we're just two guys. Uh, so anyway, that I just think it's really important to make sure that whatever you choose to do, you do it for the right reasons and you do your homework. Our next question comes from Teresa in Claremont, California. She says, hey guys, using other people's money to leverage the purchase of real estate sounds great, but does it only work with people who have lots of money for a down payment? Are there any lenders willing to finance 100% of the deal specifically for buy and hold and where can I find them? All right, Teresa, well, we talk about other people's money. Instead of using your own money, you use somebody else's money. It doesn't mean you break into their house in the middle of the night or you steal their bank account. It means that you show them the opportunity. One of the primary sources of other people's money are lenders who are in the business of putting capital to work for their depositors, for their shareholders, sometimes for themselves when it comes to private lenders. So they're going to put up some of the money in exchange for something, a portion of the return or a predictable income stream like an interest payment. So that's a great way to leverage, but it's not the only way to leverage. People who raise money, who syndicate deals, they leverage by raising money from a group of people. Maybe they need a million dollars to do their deal, so they raise 100000 from 10 different people. Now, there's a lot of legal aspects to that. There's ethical and moral aspects to that. It's a great business to be in if you're interested in being a full-time real estate practitioner. It's also a great way to get started passively if you're busy doing your nine-to-five and hanging out with your family, but you want to put some capital to work, you can come alongside someone like that. Now, as far as the loans go... I'm going to toss that over to Russ, not because he stays current in the specifics of loans that are available today, but because he has a background in the mortgage industry. Yeah, I think there's a couple things. You know, just when you're looking at a deal, you have to put together what's called a capital stack. You've got to figure out where you're going to get all the funding necessary to do the deal. A lot of people think they have to have something to start with. Sure, that helps, but you don't have to. What you have to have is a deal that makes sense because it's going to end up being the collateral or it's going to end up being the investment that your equity partners come to. So it's going to divide into two categories. You're going to have debt and you're going to have equity. 
Uh, you have to look at how much profit is in the deal, and that's what I call the meat on the bone, and you have to figure out how much of that can you give away to different people for their participation, and when you get all that done, is there enough left over for you? Conventional lending, standard lending, it's getting looser. Uh, after the crisis, it really tightened up. Uh, but there are lenders out there that are going past what ended up becoming the revised 80% loan to value. The way you handle conventional debt is you go find yourself a great active mortgage broker, somebody hopefully who invests in real estate themselves, actively supports real estate investors, and stays on top of all of the different loan programs that are being devised. I can tell you right now, based on where we're at in the cycle, uh, it's necessary for us to create more debt. And in order to do that, when everybody's basically borrowed, they either have to lower interest rates so people want to refinance or they've got a lower uh, guideline so that more people can qualify. And I think both of those things are going on right now. So from that standpoint, your mortgage broker uh, can be a great help. But you can also use private debt. And in that case, that's 100% negotiable. You're basically saying, hey, this is what I can offer. This is where your money currently is. Uh, if you make a move to me, you're better off. So if somebody is sitting there, for example, in a bank account, savings account, earning one or 2%, and you're offering four or five backed by a piece of real estate, you might double or triple their income. Come and may, maybe you wouldn't do that deal, but you're not them. They're in a different place. And so if you can make an offer to someone and they say, hey, I'd like to do that, you can negotiate that. On the equity side, same thing. You just become partners with whoever. Robert already mentioned there's some legal things in there depending on how you structure the deal. So you always want to be well advised. But the one thing that you don't have to do or have to do real estate is gobs of money. That's why it's so appealing. Doesn't mean it's easy. You have to have knowledge and you have to have a great team and you have to have skills. Sales skills are probably the most important skill along with the ability to put together financial models. The rest of it, you can, you can get people to help you with. Now, Teresa, I'm hoping that was a much bigger answer to the question than you asked because you were really looking for other lenders that, that loan 100%. I'll tell you, that's pretty tough. And the ones that do, it's going to be for a primary residence. So the whole issue with the lender is risk versus reward. And they want to make sure you have some skin in the game. If I put 20% down to buy a property, then I'm at risk and the lender wants that. They don't want me to waltz in with none of my own money. They give me all the money and now they're taking the risk, not me. I hope that makes sense. So when it comes to investment property, it's usually a lower LTV loan to value than it is for a home you live in. So investors have to put in 10, 20, 30, 50% sometimes. But again, don't let that freak you out. Don't say, well, I have no money, so I can't get real estate. That's not true. We did a show with Tom Kroll just a little while ago. In fact, he sailed with us on the Investor Summit at Sea about wholesaling. Wholesaling is a great way to get started in real estate with very little of your own money. So although the guidelines do change all the time in the lending world, I wouldn't expect to be able to buy with no money down. That doesn't mean that you can't leverage. We also leverage time, relationships, skill sets, a lot of ways you can figure out what you have to bring to the party and find the folks that have the other pieces. It's Ask the Guys today. Your questions, our answers. We got a bunch of them when we come back. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. 
If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the Secrets of Successful Syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beerbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the infinite banking concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website, www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is www.beerbank.com. Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're serious about learning how to invest in real estate, listen to the real estate guys. They really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Heard every weekend on this great radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. It's a good one. It's Ask the Guys. These are the questions that our listeners send in and our answers. If you have a question for the Real Estate Guys, go to the website at realestateguysradio.com. Click the button that says Ask the Guys. This one comes from Gary in Scottsdale, Arizona. Guys, I own four single-family rental properties, and I understand cash-on-cash return. However, I rarely hear anyone talk about the reality of net cash flow when one major expense, like an air conditioner going out, can wipe out your entire annual cash flow. How do you advise investors to deal with this? Because it's real, and it happens. Thanks. Well, Gary, it's happened to us, which is why we always, always, always put contingencies and reserves in our pro formas. So just to make sure no investor left behind, a pro forma is your plan for the property. What you think the income and the expenses are going to be, what you think the mortgage is going to be, and you're going to have a vacancy factor, and you're going to have, hopefully, some reserves. Now, two places you need reserves. The first is when you buy the property. You can't put 100% of your cash into the down payment in the property. You need to have some in reserve. Most lenders require this. They're going to look and make sure that when you close escrow, you still have money in your bank account. They're going to see money for a couple of months payments. They're going to see money in case the air conditioner goes out. So that's the first thing. And we've been singing out of this songbook for 22 years. You always have some reserves up front. The second thing we recommend is you take some reserve capital out of every month's payment. As the rent comes in, don't go spend it. Make sure you're funding the vital functions, as Russ would say, and then putting a little bit aside. Now, how much do you put aside? 
Well, the answer is it depends. If you buy a brand new property with a builder's home warranty, like our friends at FIG do, the fourplex investment group, they have a builder's warranty. So if something goes wrong in the first year, you're not going to come out of pocket. Well, in that case, I'm probably going to have a very small reserve amount. It doesn't mean I have zero because there are things that can happen with the property that aren't necessarily physical, but I'm going to want to make sure I'm putting something away. Now, if I buy a 35-year-old fixer-upper, well, I'm going to have a budget for CapEx, capital expenditure, to fix the property up and get a tenant in there. But because it's an older property, I'm going to expect I'm going to have some things that go wrong. The water heater might go out. If there's a disposal, it might break. So I want to make sure that in addition to having those reserves set aside initially, I'm also taking a portion of the rent, might be 1%, might be 3.5%. You've got to figure it out. And I put that away for a rainy day. So it's not surprising Robert, with his background primarily in real estate and property management, looked a lot at it from the property deal. I'm going to come at it from a little bit different standpoint from the finance side. Because, you know, when you're looking at cash on cash returns, how much cash do I put in and how much cash do I get back out? A lot of people say, well, I buy the property and I figure what the mortgage and the taxes and the utilities and insurance are. And I'm like, okay, and then that's, that's my cash back. And I calculate it at X. And all of a sudden, I have one of these expenses that needs a new roof. It needs a new dishwasher. It needs a new AC unit. And it blows up my pro forma. It blows up my expectation. It blows up my cash flow. But that's just because it was underwritten improperly. And the reality is you should factor all those things in just like you should in your personal life. If you buy a car and you pay cash for it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be setting aside a monthly payment to replace that car somewhere down the road because you know it's depleting, it's depreciating. It's why the government gives you a depreciation tax credit. They recognize you're suffering a loss as things wear down. So how do you use those numbers? Well, if you underwrite the thing and you put these allowances aside then that's what Robert's talking about. These are the reserves. So in terms of calculating the return, the projected return, you calculate that and underwrite the deal based on the assumption that you're going to have to do these things because that's part of the process. In the real world, it's not linear. You might buy the property and two weeks later, the dishwasher or the AC goes out. So you're going to have some disrupted cash flow. You replace the unit. Now you've got a brand new unit. If you bought a good unit, if it came with a warranty, if you've got a good professional installer who stands behind his or her work, you're probably not going to have to mess with that thing again for another year or two. And then you just take the cost of it and you divide it by the the useful life. And then you that's part of your reserve program. So that's, that's the way that works in the real world. And then when you look at your cash flow, you look at it over the hold period. It might be a year, three years, five years. Obviously, the longer you hold it, the more time these things have to even themselves out because that's really what you're doing. It's just like if you open up a restaurant or you open up a retail store and you have a busy season and you have a slow season. Robert was in the yogurt business for a while, didn't sell a lot of yogurt in the winter. They made all their money in the summer and just held on for dear life in the winter. Retail is like that. A lot of people, it's it's the Christmas or the holiday season. and that's. But, but when they look at their total return, they look at it over the course of the year. Okay, so my good times offset the losses in my downtime times. It's no different in real estate. Good stuff. You know, Gary, I do agree with you. I think a lot of folks that are out teaching real estate investing aren't fully disclosing the reality of it. And there's some other things you can do besides just having a physical reserve. For example, a lot of folks who buy single family homes get what's called a home warranty. 
It's a third-party insurance policy. It doesn't cost a lot of money, but it covers the basic service systems in the property, like the dishwasher, the hot water heater, the AC, the roof, things that can cost you money. So you pay for that, and sometimes you can get the seller to pay for that, depending on the market, and it's an annual policy. You can renew it if you want to. Most people don't, and the reason is it's set up as a protection for the seller. If the seller is selling a property to you and they don't want to the very next month find out that the water heater went out and you then say, well, wait a minute, they knew it was going to go out. Well, maybe, but probably not. So just to protect everybody, realtors will often suggest a home warranty. Again, not very expensive. Now, if there is a claim, they're usually as a deductible. It might be $50. It might be $100. They call it a service call. So that's another way that you can protect yourself from these kinds of things happening. But I do like the fact that you're reality-based. You know these things happen. The other way you handle it is just by having a bigger portfolio. The more property I have, the least likely every property is going to have the AC go out at the same time. So that's just a way to kind of divide the risk. It's Ask the Guys. Your questions are answers. This one comes from Drew in Chicago, Illinois. Hey, guys, with cap rates compressing across the country, it's been said that investors should be careful to still maintain a good spread between the cap rate and the going interest rate. However, is there a direct correlation of the two, or is this just a general rule of thumb that indicates that the market might be overpriced if cap rates are historically low? Well, that's a great question. I will tell you that cap rate, a capitalization rate, is determined by taking the net operating income, that's the income minus all of the expenses except the debt, and dividing by the value or the purchase price. So cap rate actually doesn't include anything to do with leverage or your loan. So there is zero correlation between cap rate and the interest rates. They have nothing to do with one another. Now, having said that, here's what happens. Cause and effect. If interest rates are low and I can borrow money for cheap, do I want to borrow more or less? I want to borrow more. Okay, so I'm going to go out and find a property. Well, there's a lot of competition for properties. Why is that? Well, because rates are low. Okay, so I'm going to have to bid up the price for the same amount of income, which means my cap rate goes down. And that's what's happened. We see cap rates across the country in the U.S. and in many other countries going down, being compressed. It means that people are outbidding one another for the same stream of capital. So it's not a general rule of thumb, but definitely low cap rates can tell you that the market is overpriced. Yeah, I mean, the, the fundamental principle of cash flow or uh, income investing is arbitrage. It's to create a spread. So you are getting funds, borrowing funds at a certain rate, and you're investing those funds for yield, and you want to have the yield that you receive on funds invested exceed the cost of the funds borrowed. Pretty common sense. Obviously, the bigger the spread, the more profitable the deal is. So yes, when cap rates compress, to Robert's point, people are bidding up. When you say cap rates are historically low, the flip side of that is prices relative to income are historically high. So you have to ask yourself, is that a smart move? Where are we in the cycle? Where is this particular property? Does it have any upside? Is it at the top of the market? In a product niche, it's at the top. In a hot market, is it in the middle where if times get tough, people from above will move down? That tends to be a sweet spot. Uh, obviously, when things are good, all ships rise. So there's always people coming up from the bottom in good times to put demand pressure uh, on whatever 
unit you're in. But what you really want to mitigate is when times are tough. If interest rates rise and you have locked in a deal with short-term financing, and then all of a sudden you get caught, you go from a positive spread that was thin to a negative spread, that can be a real problem. And it makes it hard to get out because people who want to come in and buy are having to use financing at the going rate. So it's why we obsess over interest rates and the trend of interest rates and where they're going and locking in when they're at historical lows and just being very, very careful when cap rates are at historical lows. With all that said, there are certain product niches that cash flow like crazy. And so we did a whole series, I don't know how long ago, called uh, In Pursuit of Yield, I think it was. And we talked about a lot of different niches that investors had turned to when kind of bread and butter real estate had exhibited the fact that it was kind of top of market. It was a little bit high price. So where else could you go to get better yields? And so we won't you know, revisit all of that now. But if you look in the archives, you'll see those shows in search of yield. And uh, and that's another way to, to mitigate that. You don't have to feel like you have to stop investing just because cap rates in a particular niche at a particular time or in a particular market are low. You just need to begin to think about, okay, compared to what? Maybe I can move into a different niche or a different market and find a better yield for my capital. On the Investor Summit at Sea this year, I moderated a panel of commercial and multifamily investors. I think we had eight or nine, and it was great to hear them kind of go back and forth on asset class, on location, on what they're doing, the pros and cons. Obviously, people like multifamily for a lot of reasons, but cap rates are low, so returns aren't as high. There's other asset classes today with much higher returns. But on the other side, lending is great and plentiful in the apartment market more than any other asset class. So this is the stuff you kind of got to banter around in your mind and figure it out. Congratulations for thinking through this stuff. If your ears are glossing over when you're hearing cap rates and return rates and all this stuff, then you need to spend some time really understanding the metrics behind real estate, the numbers. We say do the math and the math will tell you what to do. But great question, Drew. We've got more great questions when we come back and we're going to ask you a question as we play Real Estate Trivia next. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Elms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Hey, it's Robert Helms. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. I want to personally invite you to come see an amazing real estate market that combines excellent cash flow, offshore diversification, and what we affectionately call lifestyle investing. Come join me from July 5th to 8th in the beautiful country of Belize. The Real Estate Guys have been bringing investors to Belize for more than 13 years now, and our discovery trip is designed to show you the market like nobody else can. Sure, Belize is breathtakingly beautiful, the people are wonderful, and wait till you taste the food. But the real opportunity is the real estate investment potential. 2018 was the biggest year in tourism Belize has ever witnessed, and this year is starting off strong. How does that translate to real estate investment? That's what you have to come see. There's all types of opportunity in Belize when it comes to real estate, including both long-term and short-term rentals, commercial and retail triple net properties, business opportunities, land acquisition, development, agriculture, and more. And as the only country in Latin America with English as its official language, it's easy to understand the law. Property rights are strong and contracts are in English. And in Ambergris Key, a unique situation exists where demand for rentals continues to outstrip supply, creating a compelling environment for investors. So come see for yourself. Join me July 5th through 8th in Ambergris Key, Belize, as we study the market, learn about the sustainable drivers, and tour lots of beautiful real estate. And like all of our field trips, there are no properties for sale during the weekend. 
Rather, you'll meet lots of local providers that will help educate you about the market so you can follow up with them after the trip if the market's interesting to you. But that ball's in your court. You'll receive their contact details, but they won't receive yours unless you give it to them. You've heard about Belize and the Real Estate Guys for all these years. Now come see what all the excitement is about. Plus, we'll have lots of time over meals and activities to talk about all things real estate. To get the details, go to the website at realestateguysradio.com and click on Events, where you'll find the Belize Discovery Trips. Once you register, you'll get information about our group hotel rates as well as travel details. So join me in Belize, July 5th through 8th. It's a beautiful country with lots of amazing possibilities, and the only thing missing is you. Go to realestateguysradio.com under Events. I look forward to seeing you in beautiful Belize. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you want to get better at sales, and let's face it, everybody needs to, then you need to come on out to How to Win Funds and Influence People, our two-day sales workshop. It happens only once a year, and it's coming up the end of June. You get all the details and sign up by going to realestateguysradio.com under events. It's Ask the Guys today. Your questions are answers. Before we get back to your great questions, it's time for us to ask you a question as we play real estate trivia. This is your chance to win a prize by knowing today's real estate trivia question. Now, we've been doing this for more than 21 years, so I'm telling you, it gets harder and harder to come up with new real estate trivia questions, but I think we have a good one today. As soon as you hear the question and think you know the answer, fire off your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com trivia at realestateguysradio.com. You want to include your name, your mailing address, and the answer to the question. Because if you're the winner, we're going to send you a copy of an amazing book called Passionistas, Tips, Tales, and Tweetables from Women Pursuing Their Dreams. It's a story of amazing women with incredible stories you're going to dig. That can be yours if you're the first person with the right answer to today's real estate trivia question. Last week on the show, we talked about opportunities in agricultural real estate, and we asked this. Paraguay is landlocked and bordered by three different countries. Which ones? Well, the country of Paraguay is bordered by Bolivia, Brazil, and Argentina. Paraguay borders Bolivia and Brazil on the north, Brazil to the east, Argentina to the south, and both Bolivia and Argentina to the west. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Where is the magic capital of the world? Yeah, the magic capital, you know, magicians and tricks and all that. There's a magic capital, not just of the U.S., but of the world. Where is it? I think it's in the Eccles building. That's funny. That's where the Federal Reserve is based. If you uh, if you know or you want to take a guess, it's not actually where the Federal Reserve is, but it could be. That's some magic. Uh, but if you want to guess, just send your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com and include your name and your mailing address. If you're the winner, you're going to get passionistas, tips, tales, and tweetables from women pursuing their dreams. That's today's real estate trivia questions. It's a lot of questions today. It's your questions. Ask the guys. One of our favorite shows to do if you have a question for the real estate guys. Just go to the website at realestateguysradio.com and click ask the guys. This one comes from Deborah in Alpharetta, Georgia. She says, 
Could you explain further about your insight into leveraging from gold and real estate combined? Well, this is probably in result, I'm guessing, from our newsletter that went out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So can I do it? Absolutely. Can I do it quickly and understandably? Uh, we're going to try. <laughs> so here's the deal. I, I got interested in paying attention to gold and oil uh, because they're basically proxies for the dollar. And the dollar, of course, is the currency that most of us earn and denominate our wealth in. We borrow in dollars. We lend in dollars. We invest in dollars. We yeah, Everything's in dollars. And so after 2008, uh, the bond markets was really what created the financial crisis, uh, also denominated in dollars. At least that's the dominant currency in the world. So there's a lot of reasons why you start to pay attention. And then when you start looking at the dollar and you see a long-term trend since the Federal Reserve took over printing Federal Reserve notes in 1913, and the trend has been down over 94% loss of purchasing power in that time. It's a term we call inflation. Of course, real estate investors use inflation to get rich. And you do that by borrowing money from the future and bringing it into the present when it's worth more, and then purchasing something like a piece of real estate and buying a stream of income that will make the debt payment for you. And then you hold the property over time, trusting that it will probably double in value about every 10 years. And that creates a lot of equity. It was the theme of our book, Equity Happens. It's our monetary system that creates that kind of appreciation. So when you borrow you've effectively shorted the dollar. And you can accelerate that process with gold, because if you look at the history of gold relative to the dollar, it's basically the same. As the purchasing power of the dollar declines, gold holds its relative purchasing power. So if you were to borrow equity out of a property and you were to have a plan for the cash flow, meaning maybe you invest a portion of the proceeds in a higher yielding investment, like a first position mortgage or a property that cash flows very strongly, so that some of the proceeds invested in the income cover all of the payment on the loan. Now you've got a lump of cash that's free and clear that used to be equity, now it's cash. You use that cash to buy some gold. Gold gives you the opportunity to hold some liquid wealth outside of the banking system and hedge against a falling currency. Now fast forward down the road, let's say the currency attends down. Well, that means that that gold price denominated in dollars goes up. And the idea is then you could take and sell the gold and pay off the note for much less. Now, if you got lost in all that, let me give you a simple example every one of you can relate to. It's the same principle. You're just replacing real estate with gold. If you were to buy two houses right next door to each other and they doubled in price in 10 years and you bought both of them for 100% financing, at the end of 10 years, you could sell one and pay off the other completely. And if the rent covered it, you basically got the house for free. The difference is that second house, instead of buying a second house and being exposed to the real estate market, you diversify into gold but you end up having about the same result. Now you have to do the math and you know you don't just dive into gold without doing your homework, but that's the concept. That's how you use vehicles in tandem. Buying gold is hedging against a falling dollar. Going to debt is hedging against a falling dollar. If you do both at the same time, you double bet against the dollar. You shouldn't do it if you don't think the dollar is gonna continue its 106 year trend down, but if you think it might, 
If you think that's the probability, then you may want to hedge against that a little bit by putting some gold in your portfolio. You know, on the summit this year, Brian London, who edits the Gold Newsletter, uh, was talking about, you know, gold and how it interplays with the various economics. And he said, for the best explanation on this and how it works with real estate, talk to Russell Gray. So there you go. Now, I will tell you this. It takes a while to get your head around this stuff. And an awesome place to do that is the New Orleans Investment Conference. It's the longest running investment conference in the U.S. It happens uh, in October or November, depending on the year coming up. We'll be there. It'll be our sixth or seventh year in a row of attending the event. And there's lots of folks there talking about gold, silver, palladium, platinum, but also gold and oil and mining companies and real estate. It's a real asset investing conference. So it's not about investing in mutual funds or derivatives or any of that kind of stuff. It's about tangible, real stuff, but it's a great time. And the faculty is always awesome as well. You can find out more on our website at realestateguysradio.com under events. Thanks, Deborah, for that. Our next question comes from Tifo in Johannesburg, South Africa. All right, Tifo, I hope that's how you say your name. It might be Tefo, but Tifo says, I'm a South African based in South Africa. Are there possibly any financing options available from this network that can invest in projects based here or in neighboring countries? All right. Well, that's an interesting question because financing is different everywhere. I will tell you that we don't have a a lending network. We have kind of a loose network of affiliated providers that we hang out with and point to and learn from a lot of the folks that came on the summit and so forth. But I will tell you that one of the things people are always interested in is opportunity whether it's a growth of equity, whether it's cash flow, whether it's business. And so as we look around, it's a big world and we are certainly worldwide investors with experience in more than one place. I think there's some wisdom in that. Maybe not when you're starting out, but eventually it's a way to diversify. So the answer, the short answer is, I don't think we have any direct resources for lending in South Africa, but what we do have is a huge network of syndicators, people that raise money to do deals. Yeah, let me mention this also, because I think it's kind of important. If you are out there listening and you are in a remote location, you're off the beaten path, and you look in your local market and there just aren't the resources in terms of capital or even intellectual capacity in terms of ideas and, and, and mentorship and things, you're living in one of the greatest times in human history because you're really connected to the whole world. The fact that you're hearing our voices right now is just remarkable because we're just two guys in one part of the world that get together and talk about real estate every week, and yet people all around the world hear us. Well, there's all kinds of online forums and networks and places that you can join virtually. And every once in a while, you ought to get out of your own backyard and take a trip and go someplace where there's a lot of the right kind of people. It's what we do. We talk all the time about going to conferences. We host conferences. We promote other people's conferences. We practice what we preach in that regard. It's where all of our great relationships come from and get solidified. Uh, But to Robert's point, if you have a marketplace, especially an undiscovered marketplace, and you have a legitimate opportunity, and there's some real money to be made, and you're the boots on the ground guy or gal who knows that market and can open that market up to the world, you're sitting on a gold mine. And if you're not in a market like that, and if those kind of deals don't exist, then you shouldn't be trying to borrow money or invest there. You should get out and look at other markets yourself and find a way and another team, boots on the ground people who can help open a world of opportunity to you. Robert says all the time, live where you want to live. 
but invest where the numbers make sense. Well, that sounds good on a quote line and it's a great quote, but to make that really happen in the real world, you want to get involved in networks of people. And so reaching out to us was a great way to do it. We put on live events. That's a great way to connect with us. Other people have online forums. That's a great way to connect with them. And however you choose to do it, Put a concerted effort into expanding your network and building your brand so that the people in the network see you as the type of person they would want to do business with and trust your professional capacity and then learn your market inside and out and how it compares to other opportunities around the world so you can sell the strengths of your offering against you know maybe the weaknesses or, or the uh, inadequacies of other markets. Because uh, if your market does something well, somebody out there is going to want that. You just have to put that together and then you have an opportunity to do a deal. There's a lot of investors that are already focused on a market or two and would be willing to diversify. So if there's some strong reasons to come to a market like yours, then you just got to figure out how to tell that story. I will say, you know, Johannesburg isn't a small place and uh, in South Africa in general, there are banks and I've never done business there, so I don't know what kinds of loan-to-value and so forth. But I know there are some interesting peer-to-peer lending platforms in Africa, so that's another possibility. And then it's always the idea of syndication. Can you get together with a group of folks interested in investing and raise some capital that way? So thanks for listening from Johannesburg and lots of other places uh, in the world. When we come back, you're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helm. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Stop for a moment. Why are you listening to this show? Are you dreaming of a bigger, brighter financial future? More personal freedom to live life on your own terms? What if there was just one skill that could make it happen? There is. Sales. Robert Kiyosaki says every entrepreneur must be good at sales. It's true for investors, too. Sales is how you attract money, people, and opportunities. Sales is the skill used to negotiate deals and lead your team. Sales skills are essential to success. The good news is, it's a learnable skill. The great news is, we've created a two-day interactive workshop to teach those skills to you. Make plans today to attend How to Win Funds and Influence People, Mastering the Art of Financial Selling. For dates and details, send an email to sales at realestateguysradio.com or visit realestateguysradio.com and look under events. Gain the skills you need to succeed. Email sales at realestateguysradio.com or look under the events tab at realestateguysradio.com. Forbes rated Memphis the best cash flow market in the nation. And our good friend Terry Kerr at Mid-South Homebuyers has been the premier turnkey rental property provider in Memphis for over 13 years. With an A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau, Terry has renovated over 750 houses. Real Estate Guys listeners have snapped up hundreds. Discover what these satisfied investors already know. Mid-South's properties are completely renovated with a one-year warranty and a lifelong rental guarantee. They're affordable, well-managed, and easy to own. Perfect for beginning investors and veterans alike. Get in on the action. Contact Terry and his team via email at midsouth at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Mark Skousen, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you haven't yet subscribed to our newsletter, you're going to want to do that. Just send an email to newsletter at realestateguysradio.com, and you'll get our weekly newsletter plus a bunch of other cool stuff. And we don't spam your email with 1,500 messages a day. I think we're down to just three a day. 
No, but get on the list and uh, we'll send you lots of cool stuff and you can unsubscribe anytime. It's Ask the Guys today. Your questions are answers. Speaking of around the world, this next question comes from Karen in Lahui on Kauai in Hawaii. She says, Aloha, real estate guys. I've really enjoyed your podcast over the years and I've learned a lot. So mahalo for all you do. Well, thank you so much. The webinar you did for Peak Prosperity was absolutely excellent. I can't say enough good things about it. Oh, sure you can. Just go right on. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, my question is, uh, when evaluating syndication deals, is there one metric that you focus on more or give extra weight to? Mahalo again, Karen. All right, Karen. Well, first of all, just so everybody knows, our good friends, Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, who run peakprosperity.com invited us to do a webinar series on real estate. And we're kind of right in the middle of it right now. And it's really cool. Yeah. The first one's actually available for free because it, it is a pay-per-view thing for the subsequent. But the first one, which is like 90 minutes long, is available on our website at realestateguysradio.com under the uh, resources special reports tab. And there's a whole bunch of free content there, but you can, you can register for the webinar there and watch it. And if you like it, then you can purchase the subsequent webinars and we're going to be finishing out the series with these guys over the next month or so. Not only that, we're going to be speaking at their annual event coming up and syndication, passively investing in syndication primarily is going to be one of the things we're talking about. So let's talk about how you judge or evaluate a syndication. I don't know that there is one single metric. I'll tell you the metric not to use, and that's promised rate of return. Promised rate of return is the least important metric. You've got to understand the market, the story, every element of the syndication. So we like to say you have to bet the jockey and the horse, meaning the jockey is the syndicator, the person putting together the deal, the person who's going to move the levers and run the project and has the relationships and knows the market. That's the person you're betting on. That person is critical. But that jockey has to be riding a good horse. The project has to make sense. You need to be able to understand what is the business plan for the project? Why does that make good sense to you? Does it seem reasonable? Is it prudent? And then ultimately, you also have to consider the track that the horse runs on, the market that it's in. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, my initial thought before you answered, Robert, was risk-adjusted return. And risk-adjusted return means you look at what the potential of the deal is, and then you look at the risk you're going to be taking to get that. And many of the things that Robert just mentioned are part of that. And then as Robert was speaking, it made me think of a presentation I saw from Dave Zook, who's a syndicator who's raised over $100 million in only five years and has had tremendous success. In fact, he speaks at our Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar quite often. And in Dave's case, Dave would tell you the single most important thing he focuses on is the team. Yep. He builds a great relationship with a well-qualified team. He makes sure that they have character. He makes sure that they're competent. He makes sure that they have um, capacity and are committed to the success of the project. And then he listens to them and they make recommendations. They're experts in whatever they do. And Dave dabbles in a lot of different things. He doesn't depend on him being an expert. He's an expert in finding experts and then working with those people. So I would say just on, on actually a metric, like a number that you could focus on that matters most is risk-adjusted return with an emphasis on risk-adjusted and understanding what the risk factors are and finding a way to weight them so you can make a determination. Is this return worth the risk I'm taking? And then the other one, which I would argue is even more important because your team can help you with figuring out the risk-adjusted return and executing on the business plan is focusing on building a 
quality team in a market and a product niche that you really believe in and are interested in and will pay attention to yourself. Syndication, as much or more than real estate investing in general, is a relationship business. So the thing you're really looking for is character and competence. And that just takes some time. You know, I love the idea of risk-adjusted return. The challenge is it's very subjective. You could do a spreadsheet, but how are you going to put actual metrics on the chance of a certain occurrence happening? You've got to just think through, and every level of complexity to a deal might increase the risk. But then, if we take risk, we can often get great reward. I think one of the great inefficiencies of real estate is you don't have to have higher risk to get better rewards. People think they do. They think, well, if I'm going to risk a lot, I should be able to make a lot. Or in order to make a lot, I have to risk a lot. And I would argue it's the other way around. If you will focus on what Russ is calling risk-adjusted returns, you will be able to find opportunities in real estate where the risk is exceedingly low for the amount of return that's possible. But I think it's really, a lot of it's in the eye of the beholder. I think we hit some really good things there. If you are a passive investor, it's even more important that you are vetting the jockey, the person running the deal. That's critical. Uh, if you're going to be in the syndication business, then you're going to want to know what folks who are interested in investing, what's important to them. And that's part of what uh, you know Dave Zook does such a good job at. So one more question. Hopefully we'll get this one. And this comes from Zhao in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, question from Queensland. All right. Hi, guys. I'm listening to your show, and I think it's not one of, but the best real estate investing podcast out there. Okay, just here's a hint. If you want your question read, you might want to start out with a really nice comment like that. So thank you very much for those kind words. It goes on. I've had some training in real estate, and I've started a small portfolio last year, and I'd like to grow faster and bigger. I'm very interested in your syndication workshop, as well as the How to Win Funds and Influence People sales event. I've managed to raise about a half a million dollar angel fund last year, but I'm wanting to do bigger deals now. If I can only go to one of those events, since I live in Australia, which one would you recommend and why? Well, that's a great question. Obviously, our recommendation would be to attend them both because we wouldn't hold them if there wasn't a reason for people to go. I will tell you that the seminar business is not our primary business, but it is an important way to get great information to people. I, I want to hand this to Russ because he thinks strategically, but the challenge in handing it to Russ is he's also perhaps a little biased because the How to Win Funds event is 100% his event. I'm just going to tell you it's fabulous having been to a ton of sales training over the years and my personal investment in sales training has been one of the best investments I've made personally. Every time I've gone to a seminar or gotten a book or gone through a course on sales, it is more than paid for itself. But Russ, what would you think? I've got to come all the way from Australia. Is it the syndication event? Is it the sales workshop? I, I think the money, uh, if, if it's a financial restriction, you should come to both because one should make you enough money to come to the other. Now, if you have something to sell in your life right now, and it sounds like you do because you've already raised some money, then I would say that probably the sales training, and the reason I say that is only because the sales training is an interactive workshop. And so it's very hard to replicate it online. With that said, we've created an online course, but the way we recommend people use it is that they come to the workshop, they experience the workshop, they buy the course, and then they go home and they find a group of people who are interested in developing their skills. And you turn around to become a teacher with the help of the course and you role play together and develop your skills. That should make you more than enough money to be able to come back and go to the syndication workshop. With that 
said, you do have the ability to take the How to Win Funds and Influence training online. In fact, we've been in post-production for quite a while, but it's almost done. You can pre-order it still on the website if you just go under... uh, in the resources tab, you'll see it under, I believe it's special reports. Uh, you can you can check it out there. We don't have the syndication course online yet. We're working on it, but it's further away. So depending on your time frame, but I would say if you have something right now that you can sell, enhancing your sales skills will help you make enough money to pay for everything else you want to do. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to say if you come to that workshop in June and you put what you learned to work, by the time September rolls around, our next syndication event, you're going to have the money to come back. And we'd love to see you. Hey, thanks for all the great questions today. We couldn't get to them all, but we did our best and some great, great questions. If you have a question for the Real Estate Guys, go to realestateguysradio.com and click Ask the Guys. Until next week, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.